How are you guys? <laughs> Phenomenal. That was better. My name is Dylan Meyer. I'm the youth pastor here at Westview. I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning. I have some good news. He's risen. Still. Still. All week, actually. Yeah. Um, that's been really good. I've been reminding myself um, of that each day. I think it's really easy to get super pumped on Easter and then to forget um, old news is still good news. Yeah? Um, and so I've been, I've been actually clinging to that more so now than ever before. Um, I am recently 24, and so every birthday gets a little more difficult, I'm finding. Um, so I know you guys are like, that's not that old. I, it's a real thing, okay? So I played volleyball on Thursday night. I'm still sore, okay? It hurts to sneeze. I, I don't know how I'm going to do this continuing, but it's, it's a real issue. Um, but old news is, is still good news, I'm hoping. Um, but the more, the more I live, um, the more I have to look back on. Um, and that's been a blessing. Is, is the further I journey into life, the more I, I can look back and see the way that God has moved in my life. Um, and this week, um, I was sitting, and, and a story came to my mind, um, an, an image of, of myself when I was younger. And so I, I just kind of sat with it. I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is for, what this is from. Um, but, but the more I sat with it, it began to make sense. And so this is the image that was in my head. It was me um, a year before kindergarten on the front porch of our house, curled up in a little ball in the cold morning breeze, wrapped in Scooby-Doo flannel pajamas. And it was not a good day. It was not a good day. Because um, what had happened is I had woken up and the house was empty. Um, I have three older siblings that would have been there, they weren't. My parents could have been there, they weren't. Um, and so as the current youngest, I was like, where is everybody at? Um, this was a pretty common occurrence. I don't know why it was continuously difficult for me because what had happened is I had waken up later than normal. Um, and normally I would wake up and mom would take me um, and all the older kids and we would go to school. She would drop all of them off and I would go home with mom. Well, I had woken up late. She didn't wake me. House is empty. But in my brain, they were supposed to be there. You see, when I woke up, it was a shock that they were gone. They were supposed to be there and they were gone. And so I would walk outside, and I would sit down on our front porch and curl up in a little ball and just stare down the lane, which was maybe a quarter mile of gravel. And I'd just wait, wondering, did they forget me? Why didn't they wake me up and take me with them? When are they coming back? And I would just sit in that. Why? I have no idea. Grandma's house was 50 steps to the right, and they were always there. But I was convinced in that moment that I was entirely alone. And that was a real struggle. And I would just sit there and wonder, they're supposed to be here. Why aren't they? And then the further I get into life, the more I realize that things don't typically get easier. They get more difficult. Um, adult, <laughs> adulting is so not what was advertised. Um, if you haven't caught on already, fair warning, it's bad. Um, it is not what 
what they said it was going to be. The pace of the life that we live is absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I feel like all the time, in the words of Brian Smith, we're going Mach, Mach 4 with a hair on fire. Like, it is all the time. My schedule weighs more than anything else in my house, I swear. It fills up so fast. Our schedule has so much weight. We spend all of our time running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And as soon as we get home, we go to sleep for a little bit, and then we wake up and we do it all over again. That is the pace of our life. We are flying through things. And in that, how could we possibly not be alone? How, how, how hard is it to keep track of those that we care about in the midst of that constant pinball game of flying around? The pace of life is insane. And responsibility is uber scary. Holy cow. Another thing that was not advertised, all of this freedom of adulting also comes with like the hidden clause of, oh, also you're responsible for all of this stuff. They should make that in bold. <laughs> Responsibility scares the mess out of me, and this is why. Because every step I take further into life, every step that my wife and I take a step into the life that we're building, the more serious the outcome becomes. You see, every step no longer is just on this step, but is now resting on a foundation that if it crumbles at all, everything falls. The responsibility of life freaks me out because it's serious. It's not just a game anymore. And it makes me panic. And in that panic, I find myself right back on my front porch wearing scooby-doo pajamas, scared out of my mind, convinced that I'm all alone in it. So I have something I want to share with you today, but if it's okay, I would like to share something first that's, I feel like, kind of heavy on my heart. Is that okay with you guys? Okay. So, with that responsibility, full disclosure, sitting here freaks me out. Doing this creates panic inside of me because to me, this is a big deal. The same reason I got into this is the same reason that keeps me up at night is I am capable of doing amazing things for Jesus and I'm also capable of tearing down his church brick by brick. And that freaks me out. I could sit here and I could say something that I think God has on my heart and it could be a tremendous blessing or it could hurt you deeply. And I'm responsible for both. That freaks me out so bad. And God and I have been wrestling with this for like the whole time. And he always wins. That's a pain. Um, but when I prepare a sermon... It's a difficult thing for me. And I don't say that to say that it's a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But it's almost like it hurts. Because when I say yes to preaching a sermon on Monday, or whatever a day it is, I am super excited. I am pumped because the only reason I say yes is I am convinced in the very fiber of my being that God has something that he's laid on my heart that he wants me to share. But then I fall into all of the same habits that I always do the whole rest of the week. 
where I'm convinced that this is all on me. I'm convinced that I'm supposed to be the one to make it great or that I'm the one that's supposed to pull the weight to, to say what God wants to say. And I'm convinced in that that I'm all alone in it. It freaks me out. That same panic, again, on the stinking porch in my Scooby-Doo pajamas, scared out of my mind, thinking, God, we said yes to this, and now I'm all alone. You were supposed to be here to pull me through it. Where are you? And it's like from Monday to Thursday, he just picks me apart. Every day gets a little bit harder. Everything that I do to prepare for the sermon gets a little bit heavier until somewhere between Friday night and Sunday morning, it is all I can do to take another step. And I'm convinced, at least I hope, that process is he picks me apart so that when this little piece of me is still there, he can put together exactly what he needs. And in that process, I've learned a few things. One of which is not all burdens are sin-related. You see, these are, there are things in this life that are heavy and are difficult and that come at a cost. Good things cost too. You see, that pain, that hurt, that difficulty, I hope is to bear fruit. And it hurts but not all burdens are sin-related. And in that moment, when I feel so alone and so scared, the same thing comes to mind all the time. And shameless plug, it's from my wife. She's a genius. She told me that nerves mean you care. Doubt means you're trying to do it alone. Nerves mean you care. Doubt means you're trying to do it by yourself. And there are things in life that you just can't do by yourself. There are things that you will try and try and try. It doesn't matter how much effort you put in, how much preparation you've done beforehand, how strong you are, how much weight you can carry. You cannot do it alone. But gosh, we're good at creating habits that say that we can. And so when suffering comes, of course, my habit is do it by myself. Because when I'm suffering, I am convinced that nobody else gets it. Nobody else has been in my shoes, so how could they possibly be with me and relate to what I'm going through? Of course, I'm by myself. When life is difficult, when problems come my way, it's my life, it's my problems, needs to be my solutions, right? That's what I'm responsible for, right? By myself again. When the road is long, my assumption is everybody else has already finished or they quit a long time ago by myself. When there's bumps along the way, I stumble and I fall and again, I'm convinced in the isolation that I bring on myself that I'm the only one that can be there to pick myself up. And when the outcome is serious, when there's something so good waiting at the end of this thing, my pride gets the best of me every time, almost. And I'm convinced that 
I'm the only one that can take care of it. If it's something valuable to me, I don't trust anybody else to hold that. And that lack of trust brings me to a place that I'm again all by myself. I feel alone. I feel isolated. And if I sit in that for more than five minutes, you guarantee I feel hopeless. Because the answer is not within me. And all I can see is me. But I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Um, there's a group of folks that are headed to a town called Emmaus. And one of the reasons I'm so excited for what I think God has to share with us today is because when I look at one of these, one of these people, his, his, his name is Cleopas. I've been looking in the mirror all week. He looks just like me. And so we're going to jump in, and then we're going to kind of pick up our context clues and stuff as we go. Um, it starts in verse 13. Again, this is Luke chapter 24. It says this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew himself near and went with them. So let's pause right there and jump back. That very day means that this is still Resurrection Sunday. So this is a week ahead of time for us. We, Easter's old news. This is current day for them. This is still Resurrection Sunday. They were there that morning, and now they are headed to a village named Emmaus. It's about seven miles away. Why are they going there? I have no idea. I have absolutely no clue. I've looked. I did not find the answer. Um, and they were talking about all these things that had happened. What had happened? My goodness gracious, so much. Chaotic world, for sure. Talk about a busy weekend. The man that you have been following, I mean, we can, we can assume at this point a little bit that they, they're invested in what's going on with Jesus. They had been following this man. They had bought into what he was teaching, and then and the craziest turn of events ever, he's done nothing wrong, but he's arrested, he's sentenced, and executed for something he did not do. What do they do? They had a clear path of life, and then in a really weird Friday, it's gone. Saturday, what do we do? Just wait. For what? No idea. And then Sunday morning comes. What happened then? While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are talking, or sorry, that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad for obvious reasons. It says that they were kept from recognizing him. We don't really understand why. Here's my thoughts. The NLT, the New Living Translation, says that God kept them from recognizing him. Totally possible when you look at the words, 
that's the only translation that says that. The other ones say that they were kept, which makes it seem as though it's an outside source, but it doesn't say who or what did that. Um, this, this is what I think. When I think about times when God is obviously near me and I don't get it, a lot of times it is my emotional context that brings me back to that isolation, what we're just talking about. I'm convinced that I'm alone. And so it, do, it doesn't make sense to be looking for somebody that's not supposed to be there. Jesus was a dead man in their opinion. Why would he be there? And so when I think about where they're sitting, the shoes that they're in that day is they're hopeless. They had all of their hope in this man and then they killed him. To them, their hope was dead. They were alone, they were abandoned, and they were isolated. He was supposed to be there, and he wasn't. And now they're headed to Emmaus, which all of the people that they probably cared about still in Jerusalem. So in a moment of solitude, they move further into isolation. They are distant, they are detached, they are clearly disappointed for all of the reasons that make perfect sense. They're suffering. And their weekend has been absolute chaos. They are confused. And so they stood there looking sad for obvious reasons. When he asks, what are you talking about? Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here? in these days and he said to them what things which I think is hilarious because of course he knows he was the main character hello and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel yes and besides all this, now it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb this morning, early this morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see him. There's a couple things I want to zero in on in that little chunk. One of them is a specific word. It says, we had hoped that he was the one. Had. Not we hope, or we're currently hoping, we had hoped, and we don't anymore, that he was the one. Our hope, our goals, our life, our freedom, our resurrection from this oppression of Rome, all of our hopes and dreams were placed in this person, and he's dead. We had hoped. You see, they were likely looking for something physical, for something immediate, something obvious. They were looking to be freed from Roman oppression. That's what the Israelites had been waiting on for like ever, was to be free of what was happening right then. 
And so when Jesus dies, they don't get it. Their hope died. Second thing I want to look at is the women had already shared their story. The women had shared, he's not in the tomb. Angels said, he's alive. Then we sent more people to confirm that story. And they said, yeah, it's what they said. And yet they're still walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus with no hope. What's with that? Again, this is what I think. They do not refute what the women said. They didn't say, no, they're wrong. No, they lied. We found it to be false. They so, no, they said that. That potentially happened. But they still feel that they are alone without hope. Which I find myself in this scenario all the time. When I'm struggling, when I'm in a difficult scenario, all the time I find myself looking and seeing Jesus obviously playing parts in other people's lives. And I go, that's awesome for you, but he's not doing that with me. I see Jesus renewing old lives, resurrecting things, bringing people to life, conquering sin, ridding of addiction, finding people in lost places and making them found. I see that all the time and I go, that's amazing for you, but it's not like that with me. This subjective belief that yes, the women said he's alive and that's awesome for them, but our hope has died. You may be very close to Jesus, but clearly I'm not. Good for you, but it's different for me. They are still lost without hope. Even though they have now heard over and over and over again the obvious true and good news. You've heard and you still don't get it. And then Jesus straightens him out. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things to, and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus points out, you've heard, you've heard, you've heard from prophets, from scripture, from priests, and now from women and from people that you know and you still don't get it. You still think I'm gone. You still think your hope is dead. You still think you're alone. You're isolated. You're not. Let me tell you why. And then he starts in the Old Testament and reveals the whole story. The whole time going, I was here, I was here, I was here, and I am still here. All of the Old Testament scriptures. He looks at the story of Abraham, the story of Jacob, the story of Moses and the Israelites. He looks at David and Isaiah and Joel and priests and prophets and kings and judges and says, this promise has been at work for a long time. What makes you think it disappeared in a weekend? Your hope is not dead. And then he points out 
that the whole story has been pointing to him this whole time. The whole story points to Jesus. This was always the plan. This was not a sudden chaotic surprise. This was a planned thing. That is the good news. He's been there the whole time. Our hope has never died, it has never been lost, and it has never run away from us. This back and forth that we see through all of Scripture, I'm sure he painted that picture beautifully, that Israel would reject God and run from him. They would run to sin, they would run to this, they would run to that, they would find themselves oppressed, and then they would turn, and God would be right there, where he was the whole time, walking with them. And Jesus points out the obvious. Jesus has been walking with his people for the whole story. Jesus is on the road walking with us. You see, this whole story, sin has always been the problem. They've always chased sin, and that sin is what separates us from God. And he would always chase them down. They would make a mistake, he'd chase them down. They'd turn their back on him, he'd chase them down. They'd run from him, he'd chase them down. Jesus was always there, walking with them. And then he came in flesh, and he said, this sin thing isn't going to be an issue anymore. And that Friday, their hope didn't die. The only thing that was holding them back did. You see, because Jesus came... Not to kill hope, but to kill sin. Creating the greatest hope that they didn't even see. He removed the barrier of sin. So when they look at him and they say, no, I feel alone. Our hope is dead. We're oppressed. We're in this crazy life. Things are going way too fast. I don't know what to do. He says, it's fine. I'm here. And nothing will ever separate us again. You see, we cannot outrun the pace of grace. Israel had tried for like ever, and they were still trying now, and Cleopas and his friend are headed to Emmaus, I'm assuming, trying to outrun the pace of grace. Not getting, we can't. Our hope isn't dead. It's been there walking with us the whole time. Sin is no longer the issue. We cannot outrun the pace of grace. And if you're like me, you're really good at making a defense. We'll say, well, I don't know, I'm pretty bad. Are you sure grace is for me? I can't outrun it. Are you sure? I'm pretty fast. I can run for a long time. I used to do cross country. We come up with all of these excuses. And we say, well, you don't know where I've been, Jesus. What do you mean I can't outrun your grace? You don't know where I am right now. Are you sure? I'm pretty good at hiding. You don't know what I've done. The things that I've accomplished that have nothing to do with you. The things that I've pursued that are as far from you as you can throw a stone. The things that I've done when no one was looking. Are you sure your grace can outrun me then? You don't know who I've been walking with, Jesus. You say that I can't outrun you, but do you know the people that I've been spending my time with, the influences that I've allowed to shape my heart? Are you sure that I cannot outrun your grace? How many times have I turned from you? The number of times that you have caught up with me and I turn my back immediately and run the other way. 
Are you sure that I can't outrun your grace? I've run a lot. I have run so far and so fast in pursuit of things that look nothing like you, Jesus. Are you sure? You cannot outrun the pace of grace. You can't. It is steady, it is persistent, and it is always for you. You cannot outrun it. Don't get me wrong. When he catches up with you, you are allowed to look him in the face and say, I don't want you. But you can't run from him. If you think you're just going to avoid that scenario, you're crazy. Because he loves you too much to let you go. And you can't run far enough or fast enough to get away from it. Why would you want to? This whole story of brokenness that we see in the Old Testament, the whole story that we see in the New Testament, the whole story we're living now, has always been how God has fixed our brokenness, redeemed us, loved us, and been there the whole time. The whole story is God with us. And so how can we look at that and say, we have no hope? How can we look at that and say, no, Jesus, I am alone. I am isolated, and I want to stay here. He says, no, I love you too much to leave you there. I love you too much to leave you on the road to Emmaus. Where are you even going? He revealed himself in all things concerning the scripture. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with him. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight cannot outrun him and the moment you stop trying he's going to open your eyes he's been there the whole time they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while we talk, while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures we were right there how did we not know it he was right there. Didn't our hearts burn? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven, and those that were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them by the breaking of the bread. <laughs> he is alive. The hope is not dead. He is risen. He is risen still. We can't outrun it. Why on earth would we want to? Did not our hearts burn? Jesus wants so badly to walk with us. The design was never for us to be alone, never to be isolated. And I know that because when we sit in that space, it feels awful. How can that be the design? It's not. The design was for us to be with him, to walk with him, to journey with him. And so my prayer all week has been, God, how do we do that? 
I get that you want to walk with us. How can we walk with you? How do we return that favor? Because it's been clear over and over and over again in Scripture that he's always been willing to be the one to love first. How do we love him back? And so one thing that I've been doing is one of my new favorite habits is called a breath prayer. So I breathe in and I focus on a name of God. And then when I breathe out, I breathe action into my life. And so all week, that has looked like this. I breathe in, Holy Spirit. Breathe out, guide my steps. Teach me how to walk. And these are the things that I feel like he's laid on my heart. This is how we walk with Jesus. When, when we know he's there, when we don't know he's there, this is what it looks like. Three things. Pace. How do we walk with Jesus? We set a pace. You see, when we look at Jesus' ministry, he was never in a hurry. Some people even say that he particularly walked at three miles per hour. That is slow. Especially in this culture that we live in, where if you're running, it's not fast enough. But that pace is steady, it is persistent, it is unhurried, and it is full of grace and love. And you cannot effectively love at a hurried pace. You see, we lose track of Jesus all the time because the things that are important to us, namely him, we go running right past. And you can't see it when it's blurred in your peripheral vision. You see, we need to set a pace when we can see and walk with the things that are so desperately important to us. And Jesus is that thing. Set your pace with his pace. Proximity is the second thing. Jesus desires to be close with us. And we see that in Cleopas and his, and his friend. Did not our hearts burn when he was right there? If I can share something with you again. This Saturday, again after a week of a rel relatively difficult week, <laughs> I sat down on the couch for two hours and did nothing but listen to worship music with my wife on our iPad. And props to her because several times I wanted to change my pace. I, was, I got some stuff I want to do in the garage. And at about the time I'd be thinking, ah, it's time to get up. She'd pick another song. She'd pick another song. She'd pick another song. And for the first time in weeks, I didn't feel like I was alone. And now what you're thinking, I live with my wife, I work with people. How, how did I feel alone for three weeks? I think it's, it's crazy for us to put the expectations on people that only God can do. You see, that isolation that I felt can only be solved, can only be resolved by one thing. And so who am I to put that burden on somebody who was not made to carry it? Don't get me wrong, my coworkers are awesome. My wife is amazing. The people that are in my life are phenomenal, but they're not Jesus, nor should they be. There is only one Jesus. And so if I put that weight on them, it is going to crush them. They weren't made to carry that load but he was. 
He wants to be close to us. That proximity is intimate. It's about trust. It's vulnerable. But when we do that well, we walk in step with Him. Our hearts are in step with Him. We're in sync with Him. You guys ever done a three-legged race? When you want to walk that close to somebody, if you're not in step, you're going to be walking on your face. And some of us are there right now. We've been walking on our face for weeks. It's time to get up. Because you're not alone. He's right there with you, and he wants to hold you so tight that your hearts burn as you walk in step with where he's leading you. Proximity. Last thing is purpose. Are you headed to Emmaus or are you headed to Jerusalem? To me, this boils down to two things, direction and drive. You want to walk with purpose, you need to know where you're going. And you need to know why you're going there. I don't think we can really do one of these without doing all three. Because I don't know about you, but when I walk in step with Jesus, he's not telling me the next five turns. He's, he's saying, be right here with me now. And I'm really good at changing my pace and saying, well, I'm going to go ahead and just make sure it's okay. Just in case you're wrong. I'm going to go make sure that there's not any obstacles. I'm going to go make sure it's nice, smooth, clear sailing. And so I change my pace. And as soon as I change my pace, I lose the proximity. And then I find myself going, oh, direction, purpose. Where was I going again? Was I supposed to take a left here? Was I supposed to take a right? And now I've outrun him, so I can't even see him. It's about direction. And when we see where we're going, then we get the drive. You see, the best part about this, the best part about the fact that we're not meant to be alone, the best part about the fact that Jesus has loved us always, the best part about the fact that Jesus is walking with us is it's not just about me. You see, this is for everyone it's not just for the 11. It's not just for the women at the tomb. It's not just for the disciples. It's not just for the apostles. It wasn't just for Israel. It's for everyone. And that is the best part because the direction we're heading is a kingdom where God loves us all. He wants to be with us all. And I tell you, I don't want to go alone. You see, that's the drive. When I wake up in the morning, I, I don't know where to go. He says, let's go. Because I know where we're going. And the drive is that we're not going alone. You see, because I don't want to be isolated. I want to be with Jesus, and I don't want to be with Jesus by myself. I want to know where we're going, and where we're going gives me fuel. Because when I know that, when I wake up in the morning, I always have energy for one more step. You see, because when he loves us first, it lights our hearts on fire. You couldn't hold it in if you wanted to. We walk with Jesus with purpose, with pace, and proximity. And we meet him at the table. There's times when I'm really good at outrunning Jesus. It doesn't last. There's times when I'm really good at getting as far away from him as I can. There's times when I am set in a direction that has nothing to do with him. 
and I can always come back and meet him here. You see, when I've, when I've journeyed a road with him, and I, I didn't even know it was him, when he meets me at the table like he did with Cleopas, and he breaks the bed, bread, it all makes sense. See, this is where we meet him. This is where he has drawn us to be with him in communion. This isn't just a table. This isn't just a mid-service snack. This is something that means he's with us. He has always been with us. He will always be with us. And so for those of you that maybe haven't done this with us before, if you feel that God is laying it on your heart for you to be drawn to the table, come. The last thing we want to do is to be the person standing in your way going, are you sure? If he says come, listen. Step in pace and in stride with him and you come to the table. Meet him right here. Because he's journeying with us. And so if the servers would come forward, please. Listen to where God is calling you. The direction, the pace, be close to him. If you feel like you've been running from him for a long time, meet him here. If you, like, if you feel like he's been there, but you're still alone, meet him here. If you feel like you've been going through the struggles of life and you couldn't find him if you tried, he's right here. Let's meet him here together. So come up and grab the elements and then we're going to take these together. Oh 
drew to the table with the people that he cared deeply about. And he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this symbolizes my body. And he gave it to those he loved. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup that symbolizes his blood, that washed away sin and established a new covenant with him. Gave it to those he loved. He says, Do this as often as you drink of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus has drawn us to the table. What is the direction that we choose as we leave it? Because he's not staying at the table, he's walking with us. Where are we going to go with him? If there's something that's weighing you down, if there's something that's keeping you from him, offer it up. Surrender it all. If there's something that you feel like he's been asking of you, if there's a gift you have, a talent you have, your heart, God, whatever it is that you feel he's asking of you, Surrender it. If there's something in your way or if there's something that you want help with steps forward, write it on a connect card, drop it in one of the boxes near the exits or bring it to a person. Let's get rid of that thing or let's put that thing to work in the direction that God is already moving. This is an offering time. He's asking for your heart. If you feel like there's something else, leave it too. Again, if you have tangible gifts, there's boxes near the exits, but let's meet him at the table right now. Will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the story of your love. And God, I say story because you've been writing it this whole time, not because it's fiction, but because it is evidence of your love, evidence of our hope, evidence of you being with us as we see that in Abraham from the promise that one of his descendants would be a blessing to all people. Jesus was the name of that promise. When we look at Moses and the way that he led the people from Israel and the way that you guided them, you provided for them, we see Jesus in that. And when they had no food, you gave them manna from heaven symbolizing that Jesus was going to be the bread of life and we see that over and over and over again the way that you have pursued your people you have loved all of your creation God we thank you so much for that teach us to walk in step with you set our hearts on fire because we're so close to you guide our pace and set our purpose. Holy Spirit, guide our steps.
spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of But just a reminder, if you filled out a Connect card or if you need someone to pray for you over anything, we've got boxes at each exit. We have a welcome booth. Um, also, if you don't do electronic giving and you want to give your offering that way, you can use the boxes for that as well. But let's sing our way out this morning. What is buried you can raise again 